0: Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Shema Podcast. Before I bring on our guest, the one that I've asked to illuminate us on this time of year and how we can harness it in the best possible way for our growth, I wanted to share with you something that I was contemplating over the summer. It made me think back to when I was dating the woman that is now my wife. She was a singer. the Houston Grand Opera and often before we go on a date she would sneak me in to the rehearsal and when the rehearsal wrapped up we would go out for the evening. But one of the things I liked about that was after the singers were done rehearsing in tandem with the symphony and the singers would go backstage and get out of costume I loved listening to the orchestra as it began to really rehearse. And what the conductor would do is have each section of the orchestra stop playing. And one by one, each section of instruments becoming quiet and then entering back and contributing to the music taught me and gave me an appreciation for how each section of the orchestra contributed to the overall symphony. So why am I telling you this? Because I've noticed that I've experienced the exact same thing the last two summers being in this Jewish community. Because what happens in the summer is that everyone like goes, they leave. For some reason, people don't like being in Houston, Texas in the summertime. But my occupation does not allow me to get away for such extended periods of time between our holidays and then all the times when the rest of the world wants to shut down from doing business. I can't take any more time off from attending to business affairs. I've learned to appreciate that time because what I've noticed is that as people begin to leave for the summer, it's like sections of a symphony that all of a sudden become quiet. And then in the last few weeks of August, as everyone begins to trickle back in, I begin to now appreciate the contribution that everyone is making to the symphony of this community. It's like in absence, the nuance of everyone's individual contribution is much more recognizable. So I was thinking about all of this at the same time I was thinking about who to bring on. And simultaneously, as I was thinking about that time listening to the symphony rehearse, I decided to go and look and see how they describe the contribution that the different sections in orchestra contribute to the overall symphony. And They described the percussions as not only setting the tempo, but more importantly, adding excitement to the music. And as I read that, I knew who I wanted to bring on to discuss this time of year with you. I wanted to bring on Rabbi Ari Winkler, as he is the lead of the percussion section for our show. He sets the tempo, and he definitely sets the excitement. And I'm looking forward to bringing him on this show once again to bring some excitement to the teachings that He is going to provide us on this very auspicious time of year.
1: Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights, intertwined through personal stories, as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars, demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show.
0: All right, Rabbi Ari Winkler, thank you once again for joining us on the Shema podcast. It's
1: great to be back on the Shema podcast, as always. Awesome. I had such good response,
0: favorable response from your lesson and your teachings for the audience on Purim. So I wanted to bring you on for this time of year because, you know, we're we're now in the heart of Elul. We're approaching Tishrei and Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. There is something very significant happening right now as we approach Rosh Hashanah and Hashem begins to recreate the world and it creates this opportunity for us. And I look back over this last year and I can sort of see how this trajectory that I was envisioning for myself, sort of things get off track along the way. And I want to use this opportunity to get myself back on the right trajectory. So why don't we start off if you can sort of talk to the audience about the current time of year that we're in now.
1: So right now we're actually in the Jewish month of Elul, which usually coincides with the end of August through the end of September, give or take a couple of days. And those are the 30 days before Rosh Hashanah, which is on the first of Tishrei. So right now we have a 30-day period of Awe which is really it's days of awe, which is what we're going to try to get to where we are trying to reach Rosh Hashanah and have a great new year. Different than the non-Jewish new year where they just go out and celebrate with a massive ball and kiss the first person they see. All right, so now, can you relate all this back to the
0: what was happening initially in time with, with Moshe and the, the first Period of Rosh Hashanah. Can you speak to that?
1: So we know that Moshe Rabbeinu went up the second time for a, actually a third time for 40 days from Rosh Chodesh Elol all the way through Yom Kippur. And he actually ascended to the heavens on Rosh Chodesh Elol all the way through. And if you count 40 days from Elol until Yom Kippur, You'd notice that it's exactly forty days when Moshe came back down. It was the first thirty days of the month, then there was Rosh Hashanah, and then ten days later.
0: And the significance is that that was when he was pleading to Hashem to forgive the Jewish
1: people. Correct. Okay. Correct. And Moshe was our liaison on behalf of leading the Jewish people, and he went back and he pled to Hashem to forgive us and, so to speak, have a re fresh and a restart, which is what tshuva is, and that's what it's all about.
0: Right, exactly. And he built the whole system on this idea of tshuva.
1: Yes. The, actually, there's a lot of commentary on, is tshuva a mitzvah or not? And it's questionable because it might precede the commandments. Without tshuva, you don't even get to the commandments. So it's like almost, so to speak, above and beyond all the mitzvot. It's a focal point. It's a primary. It's not, we have this and now we do the mitzvot, which are the commandments. It precedes it, that ingrained in all of us Jews, there's what's called Rachmanim, Bishonim, and Gomachasadim. And those are three attributes that define a Jew, which is someone who has pity, which is the idea of tshuva, someone who's embarrassed because they don't want to do wrong, also an idea of like always trying to stay straight and they're always gracious with kindness because of their open heart. And that's a focal point of the Judaism before the Torah, even.
0: Right. I've
1: been studying
0: Bereshit with Matt David. and We were studying the, the verse just yesterday about after Cain brought his less appealing offering to Hashem in Hashem's what he said to Cain was sort of this recipe for teshuva. He was encouraging him just to keep continue to try back and not continue to be sad because evil is crouching at the gate waiting for you, basically to go into a a state of despair.
1: Right, that's why when when God asked Cain, where's your brother? He wasn't asking him, like, of course God knows. God was giving Cain a chance to do teshuva. He kept giving him that chance. And that's what God's all... Greatness is that he always gives you that chance. There's always a chance. There's never not a chance. Okay, fantastic. But
0: I've heard that the month of Elul is being referred to as the king is in the field.
1: Yes, so that would be in, in the in Hebrew text, we would say melech pasada, where the king's in the field. So there's a parable about a story where a king would send his child who was not so well behaved out to live away from the kingdom because the daughter didn't want to be next to the king and everything was a problem and the king would send the daughter out and king would always watch over the daughter but there came a point where the king was missing their daughter and the daughter just wouldn't come back and the king reached out Obviously, it didn't look, either whether or not the king looked like the king is always questionable in the story. But usually, it's all from the recipient's perspective. And the daughter notices the king. And the daughter's not sure. Is that my king? Is that my father? Who is that? I'm the princess or not. And she's been out in the field so long, she even forgot how to speak. She lost the language. She was out there and she totally lost her language. So she's trying to reach out to her King, which is, and she couldn't figure it out. And what she did was, she just started crying. And when she cried, the king was like, "Yeah, that's definitely my daughter. I know the cry." And that's us with God—that we go through our our year, and the reality is that life takes a toll, or things take a toll, and we don't always act the way we're supposed to act, and we sometimes misalign ourselves with who's the king and what's the purpose. And is that really the king? Is that not? But the king's in the field. And some of us are great people, and, but most of us, the reality is that we have life taking a toll, and we don't even know how to talk to God. So we have that sound of the shofar, and that's our cry. And when we, um, that's our sound. And God's like, yeah, that's, our pe- that's my people. Those are the people I want to care for. And that's how we connect, because we can lose our language even.
0: So I've always heard that the shofar was a way to wake up our neshama. But you're, it's, it's also our cry out to Hashem. It's
1: both. The neshama is waking up through our cry. Right. It's, it's one of the same. Our cry is the neshama. Actually, that's where if we, like, I don't want to go backwards and forwards, but like when on Rosh Hashanah itself, we do 100 blows, although 30 are biblical and the other 70 are not, but we do 100 blows. And it comes from a time where somebody was going out to war, actually an evil person, and the mother cried 99 cries. And we were like, okay, for the evil, the mother was crying, of course we need to blow 100 calls to reach to the highest level. Almost like by Shmon we do the three steps back and forth to correspond because in the Nebuchadnezzar walked three steps back and God answered his prayers. So we try to do three in the beginning and then three at the end just to correspond to fight the evil part where the, even the evil recognized the godliness. And therefore we try to fight that with our greatness and try to outdo that.
0: Okay. Awesome. So the, the primary focus right now then is to, for one is this is the time to be speaking to Hashem. He's not on his throne. He's not judgment. He's more like a- He's with a-
1: us. Right now, the month of El, God is with us. Like we all think that we're all full of dirt and mud and like it's so far from us, but it's not. He's with us in the field. He's with us in our dirtiness. And he's there watching and just waiting for us just to clean ourselves even a little bit. Doesn't have to meet you. you don't have to be spotless and take a, a a shower in a spa. You just need to recognize that I'm dirty. That's already the right step. Most of the year, we're like, oh, we're so far. But now we know that the new year is coming and we just need to realize we're dirty. That's already a step.
0: So you know, one of the things I, I realized, too, that you know, a lot of times during the year, a lot of my prayers are things like... Help me out with my business. Help me out with my livelihood. But the month of Elul, I don't do that. To me, it's like, I know the king's in the field. And now it's like, help me with my Amuna. Help me learn. Help me be more disciplined with my davening and my study. Like, help me be the person that I know you're sort of cheering me on and all of us to be. Help me with those things. Because the king is never going to say no to any of those requests. So I... I don't know if there's anyth- anything written on that subject.
1: There is. I don't honestly. I don't love this that it's written. But the diminamagat says that all these prayers that you pray for people when they're sick and then they die. What happens to all those prayers? So, what do you think? God didn't listen to you. Of course, God listened. You, we're we're a small snippet in the in the grand scheme of the movie. We're we're maybe two seconds. Of a movie, maybe a minute of the movie, and the movie's a two hour movie from the time of Adam until the time of the Mashiach. So, on our little microscope, we see, oh, that person just died. How could that be? You missed the beginning of the movie. You're missing the end. Like, if you ever saw somebody walk in the middle of a movie, you're like, don't ask questions. That was the bad guy. He may look good, but he's the bad. So, granted, in our naked eyes and human eyes, we don't see it all. So, of course, those prayers are are going somewhere. Now, for us, that's why I said I don't love it, is because sometimes it's hard to see. And the biggest thing is where the evil inclination, he doesn't try to beat us by making us do sin. He makes us believe us by creating what's called suffolk, which is doubt. So we're like, where did those prayers go? But of course the prayers are going somewhere. And of course that's the idea.
0: Right. I, I finally understood this year the the tie-in with Tishba and the month of Elul and these days, is like what we were really yearning was, is the fact that when we had the temple, there was such clarity that the idea of what we're stating to ourselves with uh, the first line of the Shema, that everything that Hashem does is for the good. There was no question about that, because even when something came up that seemed unfortunate for us, we had prophets. We had just this connection there that we knew like, oh, this is, is for my good. And now we live in such darkness that we have to just rely on so much more amuna to keep you know, persevering forward.
1: 100%. We needed all that Amunah. I actually just heard one of my rabbis say that this generation, how could we be the ones to bring Mashiach? Like, I know that a lot of people have this question, like, how can I be the one to do teshuva? I've done sin A, B, and C, and my forefathers didn't even know how to do this, and they couldn't even afford this sin. And he said that we're the, and I believe it, we're the only generation that, has a real choice. It used to be however you grew up is how you were. If your great-grandfather was not a religious Jew, you weren't a religious Jew. If your great-grandfather was very religious, whether you believed or not, that's what you did. Today, we're all like Abraham. We all have the choice. The world is open. Everything's out there. So even somebody who grew up Orthodox, he could go astray, but he's choosing to remain in the system. And anybody who didn't grow up Orthodox that knows about it, they could come up with an excuse from today to tomorrow, but the choice is really there with between technology and media. Like it makes it harder in a way because we don't want to disconnect, but it makes it easier too because all the information's out there when people never had the choice. So we are like Abraham again. We have that choice, whether or not we can recognize the God or just think everything's, Oh, it's matter of fact. Oh, it's just called luck. Do we choose to believe in the luck or not? And uh, the perspective also makes your day-to-day much easier because when you realize there's an all-powerful almighty, then when things don't go well in your naked eyes because everything's always well because God is all great and all good, then it never affects you because you're like, that must be for a reason. So the anger now dissipates and your sadness dissipates. Obviously, there are things that take a turn and we lose ourselves. That's the whole idea, teshuva, which means to return. doesn't mean to repent. It means to return, return to the source. We translate it as repent, but like, really, it's to return.
0: That's great. You know, that's, I never really thought about that, but you're right. Like, Avraham, everyone in the world at the time was a total pagan, worshiping many gods, doing everything out there you could think of that is would be considered evil. And he literally went against the grain of everyone else. And now you look at the world, how many of us are staying true to Torah are there in the world? It's not that many. You know, so here we are being in a very similar test because we're seeing everything out there. The Atheism is on the rise again, or idolatry, and every type of sin is readily available and not judged or, and not frowned on. And we are sort of at that point again where we can make that same choice and stand
1: and that's what, but that is what El is the focus. That focus is what choice are you making? Are you choosing to do teshuva and return? Or are you choosing to remain the same and, God forbid, be blinded for another year? Hopefully, eventually you see it with the real glasses that you're supposed to see it. But that's- Right. And there's
0: a normal, I think that one of the things Rabbi Wogenlencher brought up, he was referring to the, the ra as the old one. And the way old is used was being used in the sense is that old means rigid, unchanging. And that's why we're nervous to really think that we are old because we want to always have the mindset that we're constantly changing. Because a lot of people naturally probably through the influence of the all think that this is just the way I am. And I think we get several opportunities like during Pesach and now where we really do have that opportunity, correct? So we can make transformative change in who we are.
1: Yeah. Like, We'll just skip a little bit ahead that during the times of from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, there's a 10 days of uh, repentance called the Sersi Teshuvah. And during those 10 days, it's actually brought down in the Shalchan in the which is the standard code of laws for Judaism. And you see that there are certain stringencies that we'll take upon ourselves. Eat only bread baked by a Jew not eat just bread baked by a baker. And there are other various stringencies, whether it's you will only eat milk that was milked by a Jew as opposed to just random milk that people will eat all year. And everybody asks that exact question, like, why does it matter? We, the rest of the year, the other 354 days or 344 days, because the Jewish calendar, we're doing it, and we're going to go right back to it. Why does it matter? Because... God knows what we're about. If we were meant to be perfect, then he would just keep the angels and forget about us. The fact that we're still around and that he created this world, obviously we're the ones who want matter. But God also wants to see what's our true essence and what are we working on. And the 10 days of repentance and also Elul a little before that, it shows what we really want to be. Now, day-to-day life doesn't make it practical always, but it shows what we really, really want to be. It's ex- The example that I would give is, let's say, if you take your children to do family pictures. Now, everybody knows kids are nuts. Whenever they're out of the house, they're out of control, and you always have to be on your best behavior. In the house, you're screaming. But you tell your kids for five minutes, just behave. You know, like... That they may be crazy, but those five minutes is when you need the behavior. That's God with us. He's saying, my kids can really behave for these 10 days. Really, they're behaved kids. They just sometimes, they need to act a little here, a little there. But I see that these are the 10 days that they're trying. And that's the idea.
0: I like that. That makes sense. Because if Hashem were to ask any of us directly at any moment throughout the year, what do you want? What, What do you choose? we would all say, we, we choose you. We totally choose to serve you. So what happens in those moments when we don't do a good job at doing that? That's when we're not being who we are. That's when we're being influenced by the Yetzirah. We're letting the body sort of direct where we're going, but it's not who we truly are. And so that's beautiful. And that's, that's what those, those 10 days are about. And that's really what Teshuvah is about. It's just returning who we actually are.
1: Rupshner Zalman of Liadi, who is the Alter Rebbe, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, always says that we really, as a Jew, we have two different souls. We have our animal soul and our godly soul. And sometimes we allow our animal soul to dictate us. And our job is to sort of control the animal soul and create everything to the godly soul. And even if the animal soul will kick in, make sure that you're only servicing your animal soul for godliness. And this way, even the animal part of you is for godliness. So before you eat, are you eating to feed and be a gluttonous? Or you're eating, so now I have energy so I can serve God, either through prayer or through learning. And now your eating just became holy. And that's the idea. So the channeling is everything.
0: So now... Lead us into Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, talk about how that new year differs from the new year that begins in Nissan with Pesach.
1: So there are two new years, and we'll just give a little one more thing about Elul that the Svardim actually start saying Slichot, which is a lot, of, and the Ashkenazim don't. They say a lot of words of repentance, starting with Rosh Chodesh already for thirty days. The jokes that the Ashkenazim make is, yeah, they need it because. They eat rice on Pesach, and we keep Pesach. <laughs> so therefore, they need extra days of repentance. And they also don't have the nine days of the break from Tisha B'Av, from Rosh Chodesh Av, those nine days of of where we don't go swimming, and we keep we were very careful. The Svardim don't do that. So they need extra days of repentance that we don't need. But in reality, that's just a joke. It's a big machlokas. Um, uh, it's a quarrel between the rabbis on how many days of Of you would need and it seems that the, the the month of El is a very very serious serious month and therefore we would always have these extra long days of prayer and solitude and reflection of what we did right and wrong and as the generation got weaker we don't focus on it as much and then there's the Rosh Hashanah which is that's what you asked me to speak about where it's At least I find that on a Hasidic level, it's not a day of crying because it's God's our king. It's basically proclaiming that God is our king. You are the king of the universe. So it's long live the king. For example, in in the Hasidic world, there are some Hasidim that even clap every time they say the word hamelech for the king. Because it's long live the king. It's a reflection. In other areas, some people cry I don't personally view it as crime because we call it the days of awe. So a lot of people interpret awe as sad. But I, from my generation that I've learned from, the awe comes from the word awesome. God is awesome. And when God is awesome, it's like lahavdil to separate the godliness. You go to a ball game, you start cheering when things are going well. You're doing nothing. We're that we're supposed to channel all that cheering when you, we're doing nothing. God is awesome, and therefore you're connecting with God through his awesomeness. And being that he's awesome, you know he'll take care of us, his children.
0: For those listeners who are not familiar with slikos, because I know some there are just new to learning Tor. I knew it was something that was new to me, actually, when I moved to this community. Explain what those prayers
1: are. So slichos. Our prayers, where we use every, we say random chapters that reflect on Teshuvah to return and to an atonement. And every few chapters or every chapter, we say God has 13 names of pity because God judges, God could have judged the world with pure judgment and he could have done it with what's called Rachmanas, which is pity where he's almost like a father, where it's like, you always give your kid another chance, whether they're like, absolutely wrong or not. Like a child takes a car at 17, gets into an accident. You're like, I'm never giving you the car again. And then a month later, he has a brand new car. How that works, because we're we're parents and that's what pity is about. So God has 13 names of pity and we say these chapters, we kept pushing hard on the pity. We admit our sins, keep admitting our sins, and then we keep saying, But you're a God of pity. Hashem, Hashem, Kilrachim, Vichanon, Erechapayim. And these are all different names of pity where God will then almost like we're trying to appease Him so that He gives us our atonement, so He gives us another year of awesomeness because we're all alive listening to this.
0: Beautiful. All right. So, yes, these 13. 13- attributes of pity or mercy is where they get referred to a lot in the palm tree of devorah even though he, he discusses the 13 attributes of mercy, although he pulls from Micah where they're written a little differently. But one of the things he points out, which is something also that we can f- focus on this month is that if we can use those same attributes of mercy towards each other, then that will create an alignment between us and Hashem. So, by taking this time as sort of one of the things we've been working on is having patience with our fellow Jew. You know, if they say something negative even to us to to forgive and all those 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 characteristics, it's a time to begin to exercise those things and forge ourselves in his image and that's something else I, I think of when I was when we were reading those last year for the first for, for my first time. What made me think of that that book from uh, on The Palm Tree of Devorah?
1: Yes. That's why there's a a major custom to call people before Rosh Hashanah to ask for forgiveness and to call people that you've either wronged. Even more than Purim, where you would give the Shalach Manot, you would actually call people that you ever wronged and you would try to ask for forgiveness because we're trying to emulate God. If we're going to want forgiveness from God, then we got to ask for forgiveness and vice versa forgive anybody that's wronged us because if we're going to hold the grudge maybe god should hold the grudge and we're being that we are forged in the makeshift of, a, of god where tell him then we need to forgive in order to become forgiven
0: beautiful that that's where i was sort of going with this is that it seems like the way hashem judges us is each differently based off how we act towards each other if we're like super judgmental of other people He's going to be super judgmental of us. If we're extremely generous in giving to other people and forgiving and giving them the benefit of the doubt, then come Rosh Hashanah, that's the rules of engagement that he's going to apply to each of us.
1: That's how I understand it. Absolutely. The more benevolence we give to others, the more benevolent God will give to us. And you could see it with everything. Everybody says that their checks and balances on their checkbook. When you give charity, you should be losing money. And most people, if you talk to them and say, what was your charity donations? The more they've given, the more blessing they got. Doesn't make sense on a, on a business level, but God's pulling the strings.
0: Right, exactly. Everything is I- exactly. It seems like we, we're, we're directing a lot here. So, anything else you want to add to, to Shuvah? There,
1: Because there, it, is, it is pretty formulaic. So, to Shuva, there is a big point where I do want to add that it's not a game. And God is the maker and the almighty. So he knows the game. It's not a game where it's like just gibberish, like, yeah, 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 please forgive me for I have sinned, father. You actually need to believe what you're doing. Now, it could be you're going to go astray again, but we all need to believe what we're doing. So like the Rambam writes that pure truva Maimonides is where you're in the same place with the same circumstance at the same type of time. And this time, you didn't do the sin, whatever it is, then the previous time doesn't even become a sin. It becomes a a merit. So there's (laughs) words, the sins that you did purposefully are going to be like accidental sins. (laughs) And the accidental sins that you've done are going to become like a merit. Now, once you start channeling all the negative things you've done in the past and you start doing good, everything becomes good because it was just a process to do good. So if your process is to do good and the end result is good, therefore the beginning is also good even though it may look like you've done wrong and in the eyes of human, it might look like, oh, well, 20 years ago he did A, B, and C. That's not how God works. God's like, right now you were good and this was the process it took you to get to good. All that was good too. doesn't matter what it looks like in the human eye. We're, again, we're only 30 seconds in the movie. God's like, that was all good. Look where he is today. And that's how we have to think to do the teshuva.
0: Because in essence, as I sort of alluded to earlier, it is like a time of year where, there's, where things are being recreated. So if someone says, has regret about something they've done, and they resolve in that moment to never do it again, where it happened in the past my understanding ceased to exist it's almost like your employee review file where all your past misconduct if you truly regret it you truly regret it and you truly want to change it gets it gets torn up
1: I saw a beautiful thing that we I don't know if you've ever heard this but let's say you If this is from the rabbi who came here actually he was my son's uh, Mohal had a kid about eight months ago and he was the Mohal and he said a beautiful idea that we all learned growing up, or at least some of us learn growing up, that you get every good deed you do, there's an angel above that's created for the good you did. And every bad deed you do, there's an angel above that is created in a bad fashion. And so to speak, after you pass away, these angels come and they come to the big court case and you look how many angels are on each side and you have your defendants and you have your prosecutors and those are those angels and this rabbi said that we think that it's, oh, if you do 50-50, it means like, oh, this is scary. But in reality, all Jews want to do good. So the angel, when you do a good deed, is this like perfect hunk of an angel where it's like the best form angel. The angel of a bad deed, every Jew deep down has a soul, a godly soul, and they have what's called guilt. It's called Jewish guilt. And therefore, it's like a, it's like a, it's an unfortunate angel. It's a deformed angel. It's a, it's a dysfunctional angel. So you are having these angels that are dysfunctional fighting these awesome, amazing angels. So... We're going to be on a good way. Now, the channel needs to be to focus on the good. Let's not keep making these negative angels where we have this Jewish guilt. We only have the Jewish guilt when we do something wrong. When we do a merit, we never have that guilt. The guilt doesn't exist. It's just an awesome, good feeling. And that's what the idea should be. Okay. So anything
0: you want to add about getting us through Rosh Hashanah before we sort of talk about those 10 days in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur?
1: So before Rosh Hashanah, um, for the listeners, you should know that we do blow the shofar, which is a horn from primarily a a ram's horn. And that's supposed to get us into the mode as a reminder to Rosh Hashanah. Besides for the day of Erev Rosh Hashanah, which is the day before Rosh Hashanah, just to confuse the Satan, because we don't want him to know exactly when Rosh Hashanah is, because then he's going to come out with all his forced to try to destroy us. But this horn of a ram, which is actually a shofar, it's from, there's many different reasons. But the primary reason is because that's what Isaac, when Isaac was brought out as a, he was supposed to be slaughtered on the Akedas Yitzchak, where he was going to be a sacrifice. God obviously told Abraham, don't do it. I just wanted to test you on how great you are. And he passed the 10th and the hardest test of this tribulation and therefore abraham brought instead of isaac in its place he brought a sacrifice and that sacrifice the he saw the horn was stuck in the tree and that horn is what we blow and i believe when mashiach comes we're going to actually blow that shofar from that horn, it's we're going to find it again. Whatever, however, God's going to bring it, and that's going to be the horn that we're going to blow. And it's supposed to bring us back to that time where we were as a perfect, and that's how the Jewish nation was created. Because when Isaac wasn't slaughtered, we now see that there can be a lineage of Jews, and that's what we're supposed to bring back to that perfect climax of a time where it's greatness, and that is something that we do every single day from El leading up to Rosh Hashanah.
0: Okay. And the, and the significance of that, I would think that that the reason we're sort of benefiting are tied into Avraham, is that his natural strongest tendency was kindness. And Hashem said, "Will you take everything that's important to you in all your natural ways, and will you and will you make my will subservient to your own greatest desires, the love of your son?" And when he was willing to make Hashem's will his will in, in basically diminishes his own self to such a degree that's that's what set this whole thing in motion and 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 that's really what we're trying to get back to this time of year as well yeah
1: absolutely and i i would just want to add one thing to that that the chassam so far brings down that what made this so great is that we go on our day-to-day lives and we always answer up for ourselves on why we do something right or wrong it's called mora we, we do something wrong and then we're going to start defending. Yeah, well, I, I ran the, let's just say, I ran the red light because I was running late for an important this and even though yada, yada. And we always use that as an excuse. Abraham, we have to understand, didn't have the strongest prophecy. That was Moses. So every prophecy that Abraham had was slightly clouded. And the Chassam Sofer says the greatness of Abraham was he could have came out with four million excuses on what God really meant. Because it wasn't a pure form. The only one that we know that had pure form of, of, of a discussion with God was Moses. So that means anything less than Moses wasn't pure. Therefore, Abraham could have said, you know, God didn't really mean that. He really meant this. And still he took his own intuition out of it and only focused on the godly channel. And that was the greatest test, that he was still able to interpret what God really wanted from him and try to do it how God wanted, and still he passed the test. And that's something that we need to focus on in Elul, that a lot of times we're going to not want to get ourselves in the uncomfortable situation and call those people that we really hurt because we're going to say, yeah, he deserved it. But really, we should call him anyways. And if he did deserve it, What's wrong with giving a good word to somebody that did deserve it? doesn't hurt us.
0: Right, exactly. Because there, there was an element of what Avraham did, which was a, a sacrifice, a part of himself. So whether we're using this opportunity for any conflicts we have with someone else, or maybe there's this part of ourselves that interferes with our service to God, that, that component of our ego that we can find and try to bring that to the the altar as well, this this is the time of year to, where I would assume we get some divine assistance in doing that.
1: He's there. He's in the field, like you stated. He's in the field. It's no longer far. It's right here. So you,
0: you may have, but elaborate a little more. What is the difference between this new year and the one at Nisan during Pesach? So,
1: so the one at Nisan is really a, a year for, uh, it's a new year in the countings. For, let's say for kings, so we would count the years on what year it is in the kingdoms. But there is no judgment for Jews in Nisan. The judgment day happens in Rosh Hashanah. Everything is Rosh Hashanah, and that's our new year.
0: Okay. And it's, it's really the God passes judgment and evaluates the entire kingdom, which is not just the Jewish people. He,
1: he evaluates everybody, Jews, non-Jews alike. He evaluates the Jews and Gentiles straight up. We're fortunate to know we're getting judged. Some people might know, might not. The Jews know. And the hope is that people repent. Whether you know or don't know, you should be repenting anyways.
0: So it's almost like a a corporate physical year end and we're all like applying.
1: Not almost. It is. It's a a year end. The year ends and your new fiscal year begins whether or not right when Rosh Hashanah begins. Actually, it begins right when Rosh Hashanah is and you're having you're meeting from Rosh Hashanah all the way through Yom Kippur, depending on how you are or not. If you're excellent and you're a Tzaddik, then you already know that, oh, my book's looking good. If you're a terrible person, there's no way out of this business here. Well, and being that most people, like I would say almost everybody, believes that they're somewhere in the middle. Nobody's a pure perfect and nobody's pure evil. So they got their 10 days where they have to make these real hard work to make sure the fiscal year is going to be the best ever.
0: So we're sort of of reapplying to be part of Hashem's kingdom for the next year.
1: Everything, not just us, the non-Jews too, are reapplying to be in God's world.
0: So wrap it up and sort of talk about that that 10-day period between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur.
1: So the 10-day period really is... Seven days, because if we would include the two days of Rosh Hashanah and the day of Yom Kippur, it's really seven days in between, okay. but the two are Rosh Hashanah and one is Yom Kippur. And the idea is that we're supposed to be so holy and hit this climax of Yom Kippur. And right after Yom Kippur, we have our other Yamim Tovim, which are uh, our, our holidays of Sukkot and then after Dancing with the Torah which is really part of Shminatzer which is it's only it's a holiday on its own and the idea is that we will do all our repentance now and get signed in the book of life in the book of wealth in the book of health etc cetera, etc cetera, because we're going to repent and really believe it and i think that if you ever have been to a synagogue in your life whether reform conservative orthodox but if you go into any place you see that people want to do good. And you see it. Now, what happens a week later, that's not what God's judging us. God is judging us on how we want to be, on what our thought process is. And you see it. I mean, just by virtue of going to synagogue, how many people go to synagogue? By being there, that's all it's about. It's about wanting to do good.
0: Yeah, I saw a post on Facebook. I think it was the the rebbing was commenting on someone's criticism of Jews who just show up to Shul on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur saying the rest of the year, you know, they come in on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur acting like a Jew. You know, they can't come in and just pretend to be a Jew a couple of times a year, you know, and play dress up on that day. He says, no, 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 you misunderstood. Oh. It's the rest of the year they're playing dress up, acting like a goy.
1: Now they're being exactly who they are. We, the, the world is a, is a corrupt world, so it's very hard to always be channeled in, and everybody's got their own trial and their own hard work to put in, and every, nobody's tests are alike, no two people have the same tests, even if you're in the same moment and the same time, just human nature, every human is created differently. But when you see somebody doing good, that's really what their essence, you have to believe that's what their essence is. And if you would just go just for the high holidays, even to the synagogue, it's not easy Some for some people to make it, and they still make it. That's commendable, too.
0: Absolutely. Ari, right, I appreciate you coming on once again. Anything
1: else you want to add? I do want to add one thing that on Yom Kippur, we all know it's a day of atonement, so Yom Kippur is the only day of the year where God said, and it's the only day of the year, and it's a strong emphasis to the listeners, that the day itself is a forgiveness. So if you don't eat, and you don't drink, you don't have marital relations, and you keep these laws of Yom Kippur, the day itself will be an atonement, whether you make it to synagogue, whether you don't make it to synagogue, the day itself, because God is like, wow, they're listening to these things, they're acting like an angel. And the difference between Tisha B'Av, which is when the when the temples were destroyed, we don't eat on Tisha B'Av because we are depressed. We are in a state of sadness. The reason we don't eat on Yom Kippur has nothing to do with being sad. It's strictly because we're angels and we're children of God. We want to show God one day a year that we can be like an angel. And just like angels don't eat, drink, or have any lustful moments in their life, so so too by us, we also don't need our marital relations, we don't need to eat or drink. And when God sees that, that day can be an atonement. And I don't know whoever's listening, but even if you can't make it to synagogue, you could try, just don't eat, drink, have marital relations, and you're basically atoned. So rock hard and try to stay strong. (laughs)
0: Yeah, you know, what motivated me the first time I did that was I was taught that... When you do those things, no food, drink, mental relationships, those things, but you are then putting yourself with all of Clay Israel and being judged together. When you don't do those things, when you eat, then you're basically being judged by yourself. And I wanted to figure like I'd be better off like being lumped in with all the holy people and like hiding in the back (laughs) next to them. And that that's why I found very motivating to do that first fast.
1: We're part of a team we're part of a team we care about one another and we see that all the time and from the from the jew who's the most simple jew to the greatest jew however god judges it but when you're out of town none of us look at the color of our shirt or the color of our skin as jews we look at each other as oh look there's a jew oh there's a jew oh you're jewish Oh, you're Jewish, because at the end of the day, we really all are brothers. We were all by Mount Sinai. Whether we'd like to believe it or not, our soul was in a Mount Sinai, and we're brothers. So thank you for all the brothers listening.
0: All right, beautiful. That's a great way to wrap it up. Thank you so much. All right, thank I appreciate you. you coming on.
1: Thank you for having me again. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking Donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at org.